This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beers in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan and create a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Brewing and their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff there. As we get into the holiday seasons, be sure to uh, meet up with your friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. I'm sure they'll be having the game on here on Saturday, and it's a great spot to watch games. So be sure to go out there and to have a good time with those guys. On this week's edition of the Short Side Option podcast, Delhi's back this week, and we look back at K-State's 31-3 dominating performance over the Baylor Bears and look ahead to Saturday's matchup against West Virginia. K-State controls their own destiny here to punch a ticket in Arlington for the Big 12 championship game with wins over West Virginia and Kansas to close out the regular season. We'll tell you all about it and a lot more here on this episode of the Short Side Option podcast. So let's go ahead and get into it. This is the Short Side Option. to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's the Elu, and it's Kansas State 31, Baylor 3 in a dominating, impressive start-to-finish performance by the Kansas State Wildcats. Going on the road uh, to Waco and keeping the Bears out of the end zone uh, and, and had control of this game really from the second quarter on. Uh, where K-State uh, used that second quarter to get out to a 17-3 lead at halftime. They tack on two more touchdowns, one each in the third and in the fourth quarter for a resounding 31-3 win uh, in Baylor at uh, McLean Stadium. Attendance of 47,686 saw K-State uh, get, business, get their uh, business done on the road against a uh, a Baylor team that uh, really, outside of TCU, was playing as good a football as anyone in the Big 12 uh, here going into this game. Baylor's offense was really uh, seeming to be running at a high clip, uh, but the K-State defense shuts them down, keeping them out of the end zone, uh, and only with 306 yards total. And of that, only 103 uh, came on the ground where this Baylor attack was really running it up to the tune of about 200, uh, 225, 250 yards a game during a, uh, their last little stretch on the ground. That was the big uh, question mark for K-State coming into this one, and they answered that with flying colors. So, D-Lo, let's get you in here, bud. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to be back after a brief hiatus, but I'm back. Uh, I thought that game on Saturday, I, I tweeted this out, but I said, uh, aside from some of those Oklahoma wins, whether, uh, you know, arguably fluky, uh, 
I think the game on Saturday was the most impressive win um, in Kleiman's career so far. In that this was a meaningful game in November against another team contending for the conference championship on the road and a blowout. Um, it's certainly the first time in Chris Kleiman's tenure that something like that has happened. Um, and really, it's it's one of the only games that you could say uh, Kleiman's had a meaningful November game. Uh, in his sure, tenure. yeah. yeah. And so to go on the road and face off against uh, a conference contender like Baylor, because don't forget, Baylor was very much in the thick of this Big 12 race, too. Yeah. If, if, if K-State loses this game and Baylor comes out on top, and all of a sudden Baylor's sitting in the driver's seat, uh, control their own destiny to get to Arlington. And so um, to come out and just completely dominate on the uh, defensive side, and rack up 31 points uh, behind Will Howard. It it was just extremely impressive, and I think uh, I think the the fillet of Chris Kleiman's career so far at Kansas State. I it's hard to argue with that because as you mentioned, this is K State's last year against Baylor. Uh, they played in, in a game in Manhattan, kind of the same time of the year, and K State really didn't have much of a chance to get to the Big 12 championship game at that point, but still we're fighting for nine wins. Yeah. Uh, and and they come up short on that one. So nice little revenge factor here for K-State uh, as well. But I would agree with you. I think in terms of, you know, with what you see from Chris Kleiman, typically by kind of mid-November or mid-October, uh, this team is not really in the mix uh, so far in his first three years for a Big 12 title appearance. Uh, certainly the case now, though. Uh, we mentioned controlling your own destiny with, with what was on the table for Baylor entering Saturday's game against Kansas State. No longer the case for the Bears. Uh, but K-State, beneficiary of, of TCU getting getting it done in Austin. And uh, K-State now in firm control. They win their last two games, and they are in the Big 12 title. Uh, no help needed from anyone else. So uh, with that being said, let's get to this, uh, this K-State-Baylor game. Yeah, and I thought you started it off great, highlighting just how good Baylor's offense, and particularly their rushing offense, has mm, been yeah. uh, throughout the first, really, 80% of the, the season. Um, because that is an area of concern for this K-State defense coming into tonight. Sure. It's, you know, we said it, we've said it all season, that if teams just focus on running the ball, there's some ground to be had there against the K-State defense, and, and Baylor was certainly uh, doing a good job with that between Richard Reese and that squirrel fella. Those guys were yeah. uh, really gobbling up some yards, and, and K-State had some leaky performances, uh, heck, with against OU on the ground. Texas Tech was able to run a little bit. Um, certainly Texas was able to run a lot. A lot. Yeah. Uh, and for K-State's defense to just lock down what's a pretty good rushing attack and completely um, just dominate Shapin through the air. And now Baylor fans are calling for his uh, replacement uh, after facing off against K-State. I just think that this was, uh, the, in my opinion, the best defensive performance of the season. That includes Missouri. It includes Oklahoma State because I think this Baylor offense is actually pretty good. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any question. Um, and to hold that offense to three points uh, is extremely impressive uh, for this K-State defense. Well, and in, in, we're going to lead off here with the defense. Uh, just I think that they deserve kind of uh, top billing here. 
you know, but the way that you really slow down a great running team can also be a little bit part of your offense. Uh, and K-State's offense uh, was on the field a lot uh, on, on Saturday, where they dominate the time of possession, 37 minutes and 37 seconds for K-State, to 22 minutes and 23 seconds for Baylor. So keeping Baylor, uh, that vaunted Baylor rushing offense, on the sideline, and then also, too, time and score figures into this. Uh, with K-State able to get out to uh, a 14-point lead at halftime, you know, Baylor gets the ball at halftime. They still have, uh, you know, plenty of time to, to run their stuff. But K-State was really being able to dictate the line of scrimmage, which in, to me was the biggest concern I had going into that game. And I know I touched on it last week. Because uh, when when you have to commit extra guys to the box, which I th- thought K-State did a better job in that second half of the Texas game, you open yourselves up to, to a little bit more... Uh, visibility through the air, yeah. so to speak. And with that, I thought Blake Shapin was a, a capable enough passer. And, and the Baylor wide receivers, maybe not as good as some of the Baylor wide receiving cores uh, here in the, in the past couple years, but uh, I thought that would be an avenue that the Baylor Bears could, could look for uh, in the offensive game for him. And, and Shapin turned into kind of a dud of performance. I mean, no other way to say it. Two interceptions and really kind of inaccurate play throughout the night. So Credit here to the K-State defense. Now, as good of news as it was for K-State's defense, and we'll get to some of that, there was uh, some injuries that took place. Kobe Savage out for the rest of the year. Uh, you know, that's a big loss for K-State. Uh, no other way to put it. Uh, he's a guy who's been a, a tremendous player for K-State, really. I mean, filling in at uh, one of those three safety positions. Coming in the year, that was a big question mark, and he's really answered that. Uh, so you're going to have to look for T.J. Smith. Uh, B.J. Payne maybe getting a little bit more uh, action in there. Maybe you find ways to maybe shape your defense a little bit differently. Uh, maybe playing more two safety looks uh, and dropping an extra linebacker down. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Joe Klanderman and Chris Kleinman address that. But uh, that was a big loss uh, in what was really, uh, outside of, of uh, Kobe Savage leaving, really a spectacular night for this K-State defense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, And I think on Saturday we see just how important – um, guys like Julius Brents are to oh, helping to support the run game. I mean, because 100%. this is, I think we saw it really highlighted in the Texas postmortem. At least the farther away from that game I get, the more I think his early ejection really impacted K State. Because when you have a legitimate NFL cornerback out there covering a wide receiver, you can afford to move those safeties up a little bit without fear of, of getting burned over the top. When you have Julius Brents out on the corner, you're okay uh, not affording him a ton of safety help with uh, any one of K-State's three safeties. And so you get guys like Josh Hayes, get guys like Kobe Savage creeping a little closer to the, the line of scrimmage, helping support the run game. And I think that against Texas, Texas was really able to exploit that without with with Julius Brintz going out. You had Quinn Ewers back there, Xavier Worthy on the edge, and K-State was having to devote a little more attention to the pass threat of Texas uh, with Julius Brintz out. And that left uh, Bijan Robinson with a lot of room in the middle because the safeties were having to worry about this Texas passing attack without Julius Brintz. On Saturday, Julius Brintz comes back in and all of a sudden shut down a really good Baylor rush offense. And I think a lot of that has to do with, with Brents, that the safeties are able to 
creep a little closer to the line of scrimmage, look, devote a little more attention to run. Um, and I, so I think that's one of these X factors of, you know, you, you don't think of a cornerback, uh, a good cover cornerback, really impacting the run game too much. But all these things are related, Icon. They are. They are. And that's a great way of saying it, too. And also, in addition to what Julius Brintz gives us as a uh, as a cornerback in the pass defense game, where you can kind of feel free to you know put him on an island, so to speak, a little bit more. You know, they run the ball at him. He is oh, yeah. more than a willing tackler, and uh, does a great job in that regard too. So, kudos to him. It was great having him for uh, you know a full game here in this situation, and was his his presence was was uh, you know prevalent throughout. One particular example. And I'm sure I'm I'm getting this wrong, but one thing that comes to mind, Baylor did try him one on one down uh, on the sideline on the Baylor sideline. He was you know step for step and had good coverage. I know Baylor fans were one uh, and coaching staff were wanting a flag there for pass interference. I don't seem to to remember them trying uh, Julius Brents again in one on one coverage. Yeah. Uh, after that. Well, so, and that's I mean, and also if you're in good position, you get your head around. And it's a 50-50 pass interference call. You you'll kind of take that. No, sure, deep, sure, deep shots. And so long as you're not getting burned, uh, then you could afford to give up a, a pass interference call. Um, you know, another huge difference maker on Saturday too. I thought was Daniel Green. Uh, yeah, I was I was just about to get get to him. Six six tackles, all of them solo tackles. And when I went back and looked at the box score, I was shocked that it was only six. Um, you know, it was allowed six tackles because each one of those tackles, you, you saw them, you're like, wow, that was a violent, <laughs> yeah. that was a violent collision. Or he was kind of on his own and needed to make a tackle and, and he made it. And so, uh, I don't know whether he's been banged up for the better part of this year. We know he's been injured, at least part of it. Um, but it seems to me after watching him on Saturday that he looks like he's, Pretty well healed um, because I think Saturday was maybe the most impressive he's looked all season. I agree 100%. You had him and uh, Austin Moore out there uh, who who've really kind of established themselves as as really good uh, as a really good linebacking duo. Uh, Nick Allen, of course, uh, gets in the mix uh, as well as kind of a, a third linebacker in that four two or in that three three five rather. Um, Khalid Duke. Uh, another good game, lining him more up in kind of a traditional hand in the ground defensive end guy, uh, type type role. That that's a position that I feel like fits his strengths a little bit better. Be interested to see how they continue to move him uh, going forward. Desmond Purnell also was was in and around the play a lot. So linebackers thought played really well. Secondary we we already touched on, but to me, this game was really handled at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And you have guys like Eli Huggins who I think we've done a, a, a really good job kind of highlighting him. You know, you look at him in the box score, two tackles. That doesn't really no. jump out to you. And, you know, K-State only had one tackle for loss. Uh, but in terms of – I and I listened to Chris Kleiman's press conference here the other day. I don't have any way of auditing him, so I'll, I'll say that he's being truthful here. They counted that there were like something like 23 or 28 uh, rushing plays that they were able to keep 
Well, you know, that, that probably is right. They ran the ball 23 times, but for a number of those, no more than two yards uh, a carry. You know, so they were really dominating that, that, uh, that three yards uh, kind of of no man's land in the, uh, in the neutral zone there, so to speak, uh, with the line of scrimmage. And Eli Huggins has been a guy that's done that throughout really his entire K-State career, doing a great job. Thought he played really well, uh, you know, to, to free up those linebackers yeah. and then those safeties with, with Kobe Savage, uh, with Josh Hayes coming down uh, to fill the alleys. Yeah, I mean, that nose tackle spot in this uh, this defense is it's, it's a position that doesn't really get a ton of the glory in the box score because, like you mentioned, sure. their job yeah. is just to eat blockers and free up uh, space for guys like Austin Moore and Daniel Green, who are the two leading tacklers for K-State on Saturday, to have room in there to, to fill the gaps and, and make the tackles. And so uh, Huggins, you know, if he can get tackles, great. But really his role and the role of the nose tackle uh, moving forward for this K-State defense this year and beyond is really just to gobble up blockers and whether they show up with numbers in the box score or not, um, they deserve at least an assist for uh, every tackle that Daniel Green and Austin Moore are able to make. Another guy that we would be remiss if we didn't mention, uh, Drake Cheatham. Yeah. Uh, all big, or a uh, Big 12 newcomer of the week here in the Big 12 interception. And he's going to be a guy that's going to be counted on here for an increased role uh, with Kobe Savage being out. Uh, speaking of Kobe Savage, I think one of the biggest plays of that game, and there, there were a number of them, but I think maybe the biggest – is his interception yeah. uh, there with Baylor uh, after K-State has a really nice drive, but it stalls out, and we turn the ball over on downs after Adrian Martinez gets sacked. Baylor's able to kind of move the ball pretty easily down there, uh, utilizing a little bit of the option game as well in there, which they didn't seem to go back to as much as I would have thought that they maybe uh, would have chose to after some early success. But... Uh, Kobe Savage gets the interception there off the tip ball, uh, deep inside the Baylor red zone. K-State was able to march 97 yards on that next drive uh, to take the lead and never never gave that lead back. Uh, I thought that was a huge play for K-State when Baylor looked like they were kind of having some success running the ball, and it, it's easy to think, oh, no, uh, here, here we are again. This looks familiar. Yeah, and uh, that put a, put a stop to it and really got K-State's offense uh, kick-started as well. Yeah, I mean, that came on a third down and nine uh, on that drive from the Kansas State 17-yard line. First time in that drive, K-State had even faced a third down. Baylor just uh, pretty comfortably moved the ball good 50, 60 yards down the field. Um, and so to come up there on third down, which K-State did quite a few times on, on Saturday night, uh, but to uh, not only stop them on third down, but to turn them over, uh, was pretty important. Um, now, granted, K-State gets the ball on their own three-yard line, and you're uh, a little nervous about that. I think the, the announcers in the game said, the goal here is just to get two first downs. And uh, I thought, well, it's a pretty low, low goal there. Yeah. Um, but fair enough. I mean, point well taken that you want to flip the field. But for uh, to take that momentum off the turnover and move down the field 97 yards for a touchdown – uh, especially with some of the uh, adversity K-State faced on that drive, uh, was absolutely important. Uh, and I would agree that that was the biggest play of the game um, because after that, their K-State just took control for the rest of the way. 
hundred percent. And I want to mention too, you mentioned K-State uh, gets a stop there on that third down. Baylor was four of 15 on third and fourth down conversions, four of 12 on third down, O of three on fourth down. And, and Baylor, Dave Aranda, he, he is more than happy to go for it on fourth down. I mean, he was going for it uh, on his own side of the field when the situation really dictated that, that was the right call, not, not you know giving him a hard time for that. But K-State's defense was terrific all night, and especially in those money downs where you have a chance to get off the field or really get that field position game back uh, in a good spot for you. You know, K-State had, had drives here of – you know, 97 yards for a touchdown, 47 yards for a touchdown, 66 yards for a touchdown, 80 yards for a touchdown. Uh, or, excuse me, 47 yards for a field goal, and then 80 yards for a touchdown. Uh, and then and then uh, DJ Giddens pops one in uh, on a shorter field uh, there in the fourth quarter. But, you know, K-State was able to have pretty good field position where they weren't necessarily having to, you know, go 97 yards very often. I mean, they did it one time, but most of the other times able to use – what is reasonably good field position and cash it in. So anything else you want to touch on on with the defensive side of the ball? No, I, I think it was an extremely solid performance, the best performance K-State's uh, defense has had all year. Um, like you mentioned, dominated on third down. Baylor only converted one third down in the second half. Um, so they had a high success rate, especially in the running game. Uh, this defense did were money on money downs and uh, – Forced two turnovers, so that's that's what you want to see there uh, if you're a defensive coordinator, Klanderman. And this K-State defense has been really pretty darn good all, all season. Has had some warts in games against Texas, uh, in games against TCU. But let me just run down the list here. And this tidbit was kind of brought to me. I was listening to uh, to the Three Mob podcast with uh, John Kurtz, Cole Manbeck, and Derek Young, and they brought up something that I was not quite aware of. And I think it's a really good uh, point to where you want to make about how good this K-State defense really is. We look back at the start of the season, 34-0 shutout against South Dakota. Yes. Missouri, 40-12, garbage touchdown on the last play of the game. Bogus, yeah. Kept him out of the end zone. Tulane, they score 17 points. Yeah, they they beat us there. Oklahoma, they they did good offensively. You expect to see that when when you go to Norman. Texas Tech. Held them to 28 points under their season average. K-State's held every team so far at the time of game to under their scoring average this season. Now let's look here. Iowa State. Out of the end zone. Yeah, they do not score. TCU. Game where they they struggled a little bit defensively. Really more so in the second half uh, when things kind of got... But it was a mashy. Yeah, when when K-State was really beat up, as you point out. Oklahoma State... Shutout. Zero. 48-0. Baylor, three points. Yeah. And we mentioned the Texas game. K-State was vulnerable on the ground there. They got that shored up. This K-State defense, uh, in terms of what they've done, really impressive. Uh, well, really effectively, they've, they've kept five offenses out of the end zone. Exactly. I mean, and that's including Missouri, because uh, I'm not counting. Sorry, I'm not counting that last touchdown, Missouri. Mm-hmm. But it, when you think, okay, kept Baylor out of the end zone, kept Oklahoma State out of the end zone. Kept Iowa State out of the end zone, effectively kept Missouri out of the end zone, and kept uh, South Dakota out of the end zone. That's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, when, when I when I heard that for the first time, I was like, 
I had not thought of that. In this day and age where teams are running an average of about 70 plays per game, that is extremely impressive. I mean, this would have been impressive back in the Stone Age, too. I mean, offenses tend to score touchdowns at some point in the game. Just the way it is. Um, And so to keep half half the teams you face out of the end zone um, is just something you don't see very often. And, and I think it's time to start recognizing that this is one of the best K-State defenses ever. I don't think it's quite on the level of 2002 or, or 98 or 97 or some of these other great defenses, but it's in, it's in the conversation. Um, and I, I think it's just like we talked about before the season, is K-State has different make, difference makers at every level. Legitimate first-team All-Americans or All-Conference players at every level. I mean, you... You look at Felix, yeah, no doubt. You look at Austin Moore, Daniel Green, two guys I think that are playing at all conference levels right now. And then you talk about the back end with Josh Hayes, with Julius Brents. I mean, we've gone, what, uh, over tw- almost 25 minutes on this podcast just talking about the defense. We haven't talked about Echo Boydo at all. No, and, no. And that guy is a first-team all-conference player. Yeah. And so it's, you look at the personnel, and then you look at the results, and all of a sudden you say... Yeah, this makes sense. That yeah, this defense is really, really talented, and we're seeing the results. And, and that's a credit to the defense, uh, the personnel, but it's also a credit to the defense of coordinator Klanderman. Hundred percent. And you know, we normally on the short side option, we usually lead off with the offense. Defense deserves uh, a a heck of an attaboy. The mob uh, is back. The mob is back. The defense uh, really has been there. Most of the year. I mean, you look back at, at some games where against Oklahoma, they gave up 34 points, made some big plays, uh, obviously shutting out Oklahoma State and, and keeping Baylor out of the end zone. Uh, deserve a ton of credit, and uh, we're glad to give it to them there uh, as far as that goes. Really, the only game I, I don't think the defense played very well in was, was Oklahoma. I mean, yeah. because you look at TCU, and I'm, I'm giving them a pass on that. I don't care. I mean... You look at the injuries, you have Julie Sprints pulling up with a hammy or whatever on one of those deep balls. Josh Hayes is out. You have Bo Palmer playing linebacker. Not to pick on Bo Palmer. But that wasn't K-State's defense. And so, aside from that, you have nine games where I think the defense played pretty darn well. That includes the Tulane game. Mm, oh, yeah. Um, and so, I don't know what, what else you can really say other than uh, this 2022 K-State defense is performing up to expectations. Uh, we had high expectations coming in to this year for them. They've met uh, or exceeded those in almost every game. And I, I, I don't know what else you could say about them. I, I think that is a great way to jump off the defense and look at the offense. Yeah. Said. So this game, you have Adrian Martinez starting at quarterback. I don't think that was a surprise to anybody necessarily. Um, of course, with with what uh, you know, he had shown against Texas, and, and you know, he looked like he was kind of rounding into form in terms of at least health wise, uh, being more healthy than he had been uh, in the game against Oklahoma State, and then obviously the second half of TCU. Uh, but he goes out there, leads a nice first drive. Uh, offense is enabled to uh, to convert on a fourth down. And then the next drive out uh, gets injured early on that drive, converting on a quarterback sneak. Um, and then it's it's Will Howard the rest of the way yeah. uh, for Kansas State. And 
You know, all Will Howard did was uh, 19 of 27 for three touchdowns. How many interceptions, Ica? No interceptions. Hmm. And, and, you know, the thing that I'm going to talk about with Will Howard is, you know, the people say, oh, like, man, this guy is like a gunslinger. You saw the pass to Ben Sennett in between uh, a linebacker playing in a, in a zone and a, a guy on top of him over the man with, to Ben Sennett. Just you couldn't have placed it any better if you, you would have walked it up to him. Yeah, that's that's true. But I remember some of these throws that Will Howard made before that sometimes maybe I, I don't think there was any anything in terms of like, hey, this guy's not willing to make these kind of tight throws. He would make them. It didn't usually go so well yeah. early on in his career. Now he's got a little bit more confidence. You see some of what uh, he's able to do in terms of fitting balls into some tough windows. Uh, but the other thing that I was most impressed with him about uh, on Saturday, coming in, in in relief for Adrian Martinez, is Baylor started really becoming a little bit more exotic in, in what they were doing blitz-wise. Yeah. Bringing guys off corners. Even I, I remember a few delayed blitzes where you know he's able to one, if the corner's coming, flip it out to the flat. Yeah. Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. DJ Giddens uh, on a nice little uh, route combination out to the flat. He's picking that up way better than he ever showed in the first two years of, of his playing time at Kansas State. So you have to look at that as a huge kudos to him and something that he's really improved. But I think more so to that point is obviously credit to Will for that. But also credit for Colin Klein uh, yeah. in making this a much more quarterback-friendly uh, system, seemingly, because Will Howard is processing things at an infinitely higher level than he had shown in the first two seasons. And I think a lot of that has to go to Colin Klein. Absolutely. I mean, people talk about the game slowing down for guys. Um, and I think it's this is what it looks like. It's, you know, in, in his first two years playing for Kansas State, Will Howard would go out there and seemingly be a deer in the headlights. I mean, in the Southern Illinois game last year, uh, for instance, when he was tossed in there after Skylar Thompson got hurt, that he just was not ready. I mean, he just was looked like somebody who wanted to be anywhere else besides mm-hmm. taking the staff of Kansas State. Um, but on, throughout this season, particularly on Saturday, you're seeing a guy who gets up to the line of scrimmage, and is pretty cool, calm, and collected. And you mentioned it, cornerback coming off the blitz. Not something a, a quarterback really expects all that often, but he felt the pressure, recognized it, and made the right read. And more impressive, maybe not more impressive, but equally as impressive as any of these impressive throws he's making, is his ability to just make the right decision. And when nothing's there... Nothing bad happens. Typically. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. you see him getting rid of the ball, um, you know, not taking bad sacks, not making poor decisions, trying to force the ball somewhere it doesn't belong, um, and just like I said, it, it's very apparent to me that the game has slowed down for him. And if that's the case, then he's able to kind of utilize the tools he does have. He's big. He's got good vision of the field. He's got a decent enough arm. Um, and he can move pretty well. And when you have those tools and a quarterback who's not panicking back there and is comfortable 
with the offense and comfortable with what he sees from the defense, then more often than not, nothing bad's happening. I mean, so often with Will Howard in the past, you'd see him drop back to pass, and you would just think, please, God, let nothing bad happen here. Yeah. Like, I just hope this doesn't turn into a circus. But now when you see Howard drop back to pass and step up and make a throw, you have confidence that something good's probably about to happen. Um, It's the same kind of... It's a odd comparison, but it's that same kind of feeling I have watching Patrick Mahomes on Sunday. That if he steps up and fires a ball, you have confidence that he's not making an idiotic decision, typically. And that's the same kind of confidence I have watching Will Howard uh, when he gears up and throws the ball, where he gears past him thinking, hope this isn't intercepted. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, who's open? Yep. Because somebody is. Yep. And, and so Howard's got the vision, he's got the pocket presence back there now. Uh, to give me as a fan and probably his teammates and certainly his coaches confidence that he's going to make the right move. You know, we we talked a little bit about Will Howard and, and he had a, had a, a really a great game coming in here in relief. Casey was able to run the ball pretty well too uh, with, with Deuce Vaughn, uh, 25 carries for 106 yards. DJ Giddens uh, chips in 58 on 13 carries. You know, the, the, we run the ball 44 times for four and a half yards a clip. We outrushed Baylor uh, by 80 yards, um, and and really, are are we're able to lean on that run game to pick up these, you know, second and threes, third and twos, whatever the case might be, uh, in terms of keeping drives moving, and that was really instrumental in, in having that big time of possession game. I think it was 37 minutes to, to 23 minutes for K State. That was a huge factor where, where K-State was able to stay on the field, leaning on that running game to pick up uh, to pick up those first downs. But, you, you know, you look back at it, too, and, and Deuce Vaughn's long in the day was 18. Uh, DJ Giddens, 17. Uh, and then Phillip Brooks on a jet sweep for 16. Uh, so no real huge chunk plays. And that had been kind of the uh, kind of the MO for this K-State offense here in Big 12 play was – and we kind of have to rely on the big play here. And whether if it's with uh, Malik, Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks in the passing game, Cade Warren in the passing game, or if it was, it's Deuce Vaughn breaking one uh, you know, on, a, on a zone read or, or whatever the case is there, uh, this was just kind of methodical where Casey was able to pick up four, five, six yards when they needed to on the ground. And, and that paid huge dividends in terms of keeping those drives moving and, more importantly, keeping the Baylor offense off the field. Yeah, that's right, Stan. And, um, you know, you, you look at the the end result here, and it's K-State ran 79 plays on mm-hmm. Saturday. Yep. And you think back just to last year, K-State was averaging about 59 plays a game. Now, some of that's K-State not bleeding the clock down to two seconds like they were doing under Courtney Messingham. A little quicker pace there for Colin Klein. But more of it is just what you said. It's just moving the chains and keeping the offense and the Baylor defense on the field. And, uh, you know, the bugaboo in the first half of the season was K-State can't convert. Yeah. Down yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of this has to do with just the nature of the offense with Will Howard back there. And I don't know whether it's when Adrian Martinez is back there, he doesn't. K-State's relying too much on the quarterback run game or the run game in general, or they don't trust Adrian, or Adrian doesn't have the arm, whatever. But with Howard back there, K-State's forced to be a bit more balanced in terms of the run-pass split. And when that's the case, on a 
we're beating a drum, the same drum we have all season, it just puts more pressure on the defense to not commit everything to stopping the run. Because we've talked about it forever, that defensive coordinators, uh, the game plan against K-State is don't let Deuce Vaughn beat you. Commit everything. Sell your soul to stopping the run game and take your chances in the pass game. And that just doesn't work with Will Howard back there. Because, you know, with Will Howard's back there, it's, okay, cover Malik Knowles. That's his guy. Cover Deuce sometimes. But on Saturday, we saw Ben Sinnott have a huge game. Monster game. Yeah, and he looks like he's Rob Gronkowski all yep. of a sudden. You have him making catches over the middle in that tight window on his first touchdown. You have this beautiful back shoulder throw from Howard on a second touchdown. Um, that it's this offense with Will Howard is multiple. I mean, you have who do you cover? I mean, <laughs> on, on Saturday, Baylor certainly wasn't covering Deuce Vaughn very often. Mm-mm. But it's just kind of a pick, it's truly a pick your poison sort of offense with Will Howard back there. Um, because you have probably a top five running back in the country who's a threat, of course. And then you have Will Howard who's very comfortable passing the ball too. And all of a sudden, these wide receivers don't look like the worst unit in the Big 12 anymore either. Yeah, and that was what I was going to get to is, you know, Ben's, that back shoulder throw to Ben Sennett, um, you know, that wasn't something I knew if he had in his tool bag necessarily. And But Will Howard places the ball to where he's able to go out and, and, and give him a chance there. And, yeah. and, and you see what happens there. Uh, ben Sennett, man, holy cow, what a game. Seven catches, 89 yards, and two touchdowns. He's come a long way from Tulane. You know, where they, he was the primary option on shovel passes in case state fans were cursing him. And, you know, the thing is about him is he does have that size. I mean, you know, with the, the big uh, elbow brace, he does kind of look like Rob Gronkowski out there. But a, a big physical guy where, you know, I don't care who you are. That's a tough matchup for you're going to put a linebacker on him? Okay. Well, he might be able to run pot by you. If you put a safety on him, he's just going to dwarf him. Yeah. Uh, and so you have – that's an interesting mitch, uh, mismatch that I think K-State will look to exploit here uh, through, through their final uh, two games of the regular season and potentially a Big 12 title game and, and, and bowl game, of course. Uh, but I look at what Ben Sinnott brings to this offense in terms of a red zone threat, in terms of a guy that you can just use as a matchup issue uh, because he has shown not only the ability – uh, to, to be a good red zone target, as you saw with, with what Will Howard was able to do uh, with his uh, little post route there. But um, a guy that, hey, if you're going to show us man coverage, we'll exploit that too. Yeah. Well, and a guy who can carry his water in the run game. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, 100%. And so I, uh, it's just fascinating to see the, the offense develop and really evolve under Will Howard and and the limited action Will Howard's had because really Howard's only played about two and a half games for K-State this year. Um, But an argument can be made that those, at least four of those halves, are the best the offense has looked all season. I think KSU fan uh, had made it uh, available that of the 21 drives that Will Howard has led, non-garbage time drives, K-State's averaging like 4.6 yards per drive. You know the the that, highest that uh, that can't be right. Icon four point six yards per drive. Yeah, 
4.6 yards. Or 4.6, 4.6, 4.6 points per drive. Okay. Excuse me. Excuse me. Thank you for catching that. That can't be right either. 4.6 per drive. The That's... highest in the country per drive is Oregon at 4.1. This I, I also got from uh, the Three Mile Podcast. Four point, I think it was 4.6. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, but needless to say, a little bit smaller sample size with Will Howard in, in compared to what, uh, to what Oregon's done. But the point is, is that with K-State having Will Howard as a trigger man, uh, this offense is averaging more, more yards per drive, or more yards per drive, more points per drive than any other team in the country. Well, and it's really interesting with offensive coordinator Klein. He feels more comfortable getting into his back tricks with with Howard back there too. I mean, I, there just seems to be a level level of trust there with Will that there doesn't quite seem to be with with Martinez. I mean, Will Howard comes in the game and what on the first drive, second drive. When did we do the reverse flea flicker? Yeah, I think that was on the. Um... I think it was on the first scoring drive. Uh, I think so, so too. It, it was on that the first drive. Well, we punched it in the second quarter, but it was you know late in the first quarter where where we got that uh, got that play called. Right, and so maybe it's just that Howard's not the runner Martinez is, and so Klein's not quite as quick to just lean on the rush game or the quarterback power stuff. Um, but it's just. Um, more effective offense. I mean, and it's from the play calling to the passing game, and the passing game opens up the running game more. Um, I just really like the offense, and I get, I get the feeling that this is a little bit closer to the offense we'll see moving forward with Colin Klein, whether it's with Avery Johnson in the future, whether it's Howard next year, certainly. But I get the sense that Klein's really finding his own identity as offense coordinator with Will Howard rather than the offense we'd seen that was calling quarterback powers every fourth or fifth play. With uh, with the quarterback uh, situation in mind here, Adrian Martinez is going to be out for a little bit. He, uh, in Chris Kleiman's press conference here on Tuesday, said that he will not be making the trip to West Virginia. Uh, he's not available this week but is not ruling him out for anything after this week. Uh, so there was a report, I believe by Colby Van Camp, who is the, uh, the sports director at 91.9, uh, the campus radio station, uh, saying he might be out for four to six weeks uh, with something. Uh, Kleiman did not go that far. Is Colby Van Camp the opera singer? He is. Yeah. He, he's Love the play-by-play guy, and he, he does a hell of a job out there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But so a little bit... We know that Adrian Martinez is not going to be available, at least from word of mouth by uh, by the, the head man himself. Uh, this week he gets West Virginia, but his availability going forward is still kind of in question. Uh, so with that being said, Will Howard, he, he's he's the man this week. Here's uh, the keys. Yeah, he, in his previous action, has come in off the bench, uh, you know, against West Virginia, or excuse me, against uh, TCU. I think he probably had a pretty good idea that he might be getting called on. Uh and then, you know, I think you're mixing some stuff up here. So he started in Oklahoma. He started against Oklahoma State. Yeah, against Oklahoma State, against TCU. You thought he thought he might I think that they kind of had an idea that he might play against TCU. That's fair because I, I Martinez think, is uh, off the bye week. Yeah, and little. off the bye week against um 
uh, against Iowa State, where Adrian Martinez apparently uh, suffered his his first of of, of his injuries here. Uh, maybe it's just a reaggravation of this injury uh, or of that injury here against um, against Baylor. But uh, he he's got the keys here uh, uh, against West Virginia, and uh, look forward to seeing what he's able to do with kind of a full week to full week to prepare and uh, knowing that he's going to be the guy going forward. Yeah. So this also kills any talk of the redshirt, which I think is good because I think it was silly to even have that be really too much of a deciding factor there. Yeah, the the redshirt stuff didn't really ever make sense to me, um, really, only because, sheesh, I mean, he still has the COVID year. Yeah. So, I mean, he could technically be our quarterback without a redshirt for the next, for 2023 and 2024. So preserving his redshirt gives him eligibility for 2025, but... Like that's that's a long way into the future. Yeah. By that point, Avery Johnson is going to be a redshirt sophomore. Um, I I think that's asking a lot out of everybody in the room, Will Howard included, uh, to stick around to have him stick around and be the guy in twenty twenty five. So the redshirt stuff, I don't think serious people really consider that to be much of a an issue. But nonetheless, you're right. That talking point goes to bed this week. And uh, Will Howard is, this is his offense. And so, on the one hand, um, it's nice to have some certainty of that. On the other hand, um, it gives West Virginia a signal that you don't have to worry about what K-State's offense is going to be like if Adrian Martinez gets the start. Mm-hmm. So, I part of me wishes Kleiman would have been a little more coy about naming a starter. Um, certainly, Neil Brown is uh, being coy about who's going to start against Kansas State this week. Um, so I wouldn't have hated to see him be a little more vague about uh, what Martinez's injury situation looks like and who's going to be the head man on Saturday. Well, do you want to get wrap up? Any, well, I know there's one point you want to wrap up here uh, on Baylor. Yeah. Why are our starters staying so long? Great question. Why is Duzman getting carries with under five minutes left in a game K-State's winning by four touchdowns? In? I don't have a great answer for that. I don't either. Why is Will Howard in the game? I mean, we saw freak injuries happen. I, Will Howard should be on the sideline in a box, uh, given Adrian Martinez's status, in a game that K-State's up by four touchdowns in late into the fourth quarter. I mean, we saw last year against Southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Yep. Scott Thompson on a freak that. injury, non-contact, but just running around. And he's out for weeks. I mean, K-State's competing for a shot at Arlington here. And if, God forbid, some freak ankle twist, some, you know, tackle rolled up, gets rolled up on, on Howard or, or Deuce or, or BB or Leviston or any one of these other important guys for K-State, then that really impacts K-State's big picture here. Get him out of the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, I, was, I was saying that midway through the fourth quarter. I was like, this game's in hand. Let's, I mean, now... Can Duzvon go out there and maybe be out there on a on on a drive for a player or two? I don't have any problem with that necessarily, but let's get. I mean, let's have a healthy dose of DJ Giddens. Let's have a healthy dose of Anthony Frias. I want to see Jake Rubley handing the ball off to Jackson three times and gain three yards and a punt. It's it doesn't yeah. matter. It's over. Yeah. And in, I'm with you. And the same is true for on the defensive side too. Get get those guys out too. 
Because if Daniel Green is tackling somebody and tears his peck or something, then, yeah, that matters and then, a lot. And then, you know, what happens if you get a targeting penalty in the second half? Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean they're it, out for the first half against West Virginia. So, I would have, I, I 100% agree with you. I would have liked to see us dip into that, uh, dip into those second and third stringers uh, much earlier than, than we did on Saturday. Well, and it's, there's, there's two edges to it, right? I mean, because number one, it's, it's a stupid risk to have frontline guys in a game like that. Um, just because of the injury risk. Number two, it's a wasted opportunity because Jake Rubley goes in there for a couple drives against TCU, and it's apparent that he wasn't quite ready for that. Sure. Um, goes out and throws an interception immediately. Um, let's give him some some reps here. Let's give Jaron Lewis some reps. Let's give uh, guys like Crew Jackson on the defense or... That's, this is a good time for Paul Palmer to play linebacker. Uh, it's So it, you're not only taking a stupid risk, you're just wasting an opportunity to give some of your second string, especially your younger guys, opportunities to get in there, uh, treat it like it's a big game, big moment for them, and then you go back and film and point out everything they did wrong and, and improve for the future. So... Um, it's, it just strikes me as, as not best practices. And not for nothing, and people will probably roll their eyes at this, but it's approaching, like, not classy behavior. <laughs> because if... Wow. We're, still, we're still passing the ball with Will Howard up by four scores. I mean, the game's way in hand. If, somebody, if somebody's streaking down the sideline and Howard finds him, and we're throwing a 60-yard touchdown pass with under five minutes left with our starters in, like, what are we doing? Like, I don't think it happened, but if Dave Randis goes in and throws a fit in the postgame saying their starters weren't too long, they were trying to run up the score, I mean, maybe. It's not like we're... It's one thing if we're still in the college football playoff hunt. Like, at this point, I'm not going to criticize Sonny Dykes for doing stuff like this because style points matter for that team. Sure. Case they sign in the playoff hunt. What matters for K-State is checking the win column box and making sure everybody stays healthy. Because our final score doesn't really matter so long as K-State wins. I just think it's it's stupidly risky, a wasted opportunity, and uh, not great perceptionally for Kleiman to have starters and important players in late in the game. Uh, when it's well in hand. Well, did you not see Chris Kleiman traded out his his hoodie and ball cap for a, a golf shirt and a, a nice visor? He, he's he's a new head ball coach. Yeah, he's, he's Steve, Spurrier. Steve Spurrier out there. Yeah. Run up the score. So you know for for K State here in a thirty one to three win over Baylor, uh, the only thing we're really uh, complaining about is is uh, leaving our stars in too long. I want to see Crew Jackson in there. He's my favorite player. <laughs> well, you, you might have a chance to see him here uh, in the final two games, of course. But K-State uh, dominating 31-3 to win over Baylor. And uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, give a heartfelt congratulatory shout-out yeah. to uh, at DG underscore Cats at Duck Duck Dave on Twitter. He came closest to the mark. He predicted Kansas State 35-10 over the Baylor Bears. Yeah, so he, he comes pretty close. Uh, doesn't quite get the 28-point uh, margin. But uh, certainly closer than anyone else, um, and so let's uh, yeah, big heartfelt for uh, what is it? Uh, 
DG underscore cats. So good job there by Duck Duck Dave. Uh, big heartfelt to him. And, yeah, 100%. Uh, and so good job. I'll throw, go ahead and give a big heartfelt to the cats too. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely on that. Uh, let's close the book on Baylor. Let's open the one up for West Virginia. Yeah. A little bit of a tricky game here, possibly. On the road in Morgantown, a 1 o'clock kickoff on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, 1 o'clock Central Time. You know, if you're, you're going to the game and you show up at 1 o'clock, you're going to miss the first quarter. Yeah. Because you're, you're in the Eastern Time Zone. That's right. So, something, to, something of note there. Body clocks. Bit big. Big here. Uh, but this West Virginia team, they come in here at 4-6, and 2-5 and five in league play. Uh, fighting for bowl eligibility, uh, needing wins in their final two games uh, over Kansas State and their next week opponent, none other than the Oklahoma State Cowboys in Stillwater. Uh, an uphill battle, uh, taking on two ranked teams, of course, from the Mountaineers, and, and Neil Brown's job status has kind of been a, a talking point for us anyway. It seems like it seems like every week we're trying to get him fired, uh, where I say this is going to be the last game he coaches, but... He, uh, he's able to get a nice win over Oklahoma uh, at home. And kind of similarly to K-State, a little bit of uh, back and forth with the quarterback position. Uh, JT Daniels, ineffective uh, in his play. He was 7-12 for 65 yards uh, with an interception against Oklahoma. But Garrett Green, double Gs, what they call him. Yeah, I think. By the way, I, I, I was listening to... Uh, XM Radio, and was listening to College Sports Nation, uh, ESPNU Radio, and uh, they mentioned something about JT Daniels that I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to go ahead and pretend it is because I don't want to let that get in front of a, yeah. a of a good story. As part of his NIL package at West Virginia, he has a private chef. That's not bad. That's a it's good, shrewd negotiated by him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, Penn State, they're they're offering you know. Uh, an indoor swimming pool for me. What can you? What, what, what can West Virginia provide? What we can give you a private chef? Do you like French food? Yeah, I mean, you know, Chinese food. You know, having having your own yeah personal personal chef there. Mexican food. You know, he can do it all. So whether that's true or not, I don't really care because that's a, a nice little tidbit. That's a nice little perk. You know, I, if he gets benched, that's you're living the good life, baby. Yeah, you, you get to just hold the clipboard, go home. Eat uh, a nice um, maybe Cajun food, maybe some crawfish étouffée. Yeah, perhaps. That. So that yeah, that's not so bad. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I expect it to be uh, uh, double G's on Saturday. Yeah, and this Garrett Green cat, he can do a little bit of everything. 119 yards uh, for two touchdowns on the ground. I mean, this is a guy that really gave West Virginia a spark in a, a game that was kind of back and forth. Uh, Oklahoma. Uh, it feels like this is a game they probably should have should have won, running for two hundred thirty six yards, uh, and, and kind of having some bad turnover luck uh, with with the timing of when it when it took place uh, for uh, for Oklahoma or excuse me uh, they they out actually uh, they out turnover even won the turnover margin two to nothing but West Virginia was able to get a nice uh, hard fought win against uh, against the Sooners and. This uh, West Virginia team, 
a little bit of turmoil in their program. Shane Lyons, the the athletic director, got canned. Got canned. Uh, you have to feel like Neil Brown is, is probably not too far behind. But uh, this is a West Virginia team that's still fighting here as we enter the last uh, couple weeks of the season. Yeah, and, and looking at that Oklahoma West Virginia game, it it brings up a little PTSD for me of our game against Tulane because you look at the numbers and Oklahoma outgains West Virginia. They win turnover margin two to nothing. Um, and you wonder, how does a team lose when you outgain the opponent and win turnovers that decidedly? Folks, third downs are important. Oklahoma, one of 11 on third down. Yep. Not going to win very many games regardless of the turnover situation, regardless of the yards you get. If you fail to convert 10 third downs, only convert one third down. It's, and then 0 of 2 on fourth down. Yeah, that's so. just the name of the game. I mean, it it's so... You can really boil down football to turnovers and third downs for the most part. Um, West Virginia, on the other hand, 7 of 19 on third down. 4 of 5 on fourth down. So um, just continuing and keeping drives alive is the name of the game, and that's what Garrett Green was able to do on Saturday. It's not what the Oklahoma Sooners were able to do on Saturday. Yeah, and with Garrett Green, you mentioned a little bit, you know, he's uh, a guy that can run the ball as well, so pre- presenting a little bit of a dual threat option. Uh, with what I, what, what would be my, um, what would be my concern going into this game is a little bit of a new look. I mean, K-State, in terms of a dual threat quarterback, you know, in the Big 12 really this year, other than Adrian Martinez, who of course plays for Kansas State, haven't had to go up against a true dual threat quarterback. I think I mean, you could say Spencer Sanders. Yeah, and he but he was pretty hobbled when when Casey yeah. was playing him. So I don't think you get that same look. Uh, but this Garrett Greencat, um, you know, a Ballyhood recruit at uh, a high school, uh, chooses uh, West Virginia over Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Georgia Tech, and Florida International, and Florida International. They they were they were in the mix. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but he uh, he he commits to. Uh, to West Virginia, and is a guy that I'm going to be looking for because uh, I think a lot of K-State fans, maybe they flipped on that second half and they were like, hey, this isn't JT Daniels playing quarterback for West Virginia. What's the story with this guy? Uh, they saw a guy that is able to do it both uh, in the air and on the ground. So going to be an interesting uh, matchup there with West Virginia, Bryce Ford-Wheaton at the wide receiver position. One of the better wide receivers that probably doesn't get uh, as much notoriety throughout the league uh, just because he's on a team that's in last place in the Big 12, or well, second to last place now. Uh, so you look at what West Virginia has offensively. They've been pretty good this season, uh, with where they with where they uh, they're a little over five yards uh, a play in conference or five yards a play in conference play. But this West Virginia team, you, you know, with kind of what you're going to get from uh, a Neil Brown team, they're going to air the ball out. They're going to throw the ball around a lot with JT Daniels with Garrett Green. Maybe a little bit more of a of a mixed bag there. Yeah, one other uh, dual-threat quarterback that uh, would be a little remiss. Max Duggan. Probably the offensive player of the year in the Big 12. <coughs> and he's able to do some things. This Garrett Green guy brings a little bit different of a dynamic in the run game. I agree. A, a little bit more prone to the run. Uh, but I, I just felt like we'd uh, be a little remiss if we didn't uh, at least mention Max Duggan, who is... Uh, Able to do some things on the ground, although only has rushed for 240 yards this year total. So your, your point's well taken that, that Garrett Green's definitely uh, 
on farther on the run spectrum of the dual threat than I think K-State has really faced of anyone this year. Uh, but I think it's kind of an interesting situation here with, with K-State finishing the season against potentially a Garrett Green West Virginia team and a Jalen Daniels. Daniels. Or Jason Dean even. Sure. Bit, you know, he, and he, was, he got nicked up uh, against Texas Tech and who was it that came in? Ethan Vasco. Vasco. I was. Th- I want to say Bullock. I was thinking of Billy Bullock, the old Tennessee Titan quarterback. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people. I'm were. sure most people were second, second, uh, giving a second take to that. Yeah, but uh, Garrett Green and Jalen Daniels, two kind of similar players, both pretty diminutive. Um, yeah, I think both happy to take the ball and run, but fine airing it out too. I think the difference is Jalen Daniels is in an offense a little more suited to him. You think of these Neil Brown offenses, you think of uh, them wanting to just get out and pass the ball over and over again. Um, and certainly Garrett Green uh, passed the ball plenty on Saturday against Oklahoma, but uh, it's a different offense than it is with um, with JT Daniels, the uh, recipient of the private chef in there. Uh, on Saturday, Garrett Green passed the ball just 22 times, uh, ran the ball 14 times, 14 carries for him to the tune of 119 yards and two touchdowns. And so um, I, I think it's a interesting dynamic there. We mentioned Spencer Sanders earlier, but like you said, this is really, I think, the first time K-State's uh, – had its hands full with a, or had to face a quarterback that's happy to run the ball 15 times. Um, and I think they'll see that both of the next two weeks. Uh, Tony Mathis, uh, West Virginia leading uh, running back. You know, we you look here at this West Virginia game against uh, Oklahoma where you kind of look at what they were able to do with the quarterback run game, something that maybe Oklahoma wasn't really prepared for. The rest of their, the rest of their rushers, Tony Mathis, Junior, uh, 23 carries for 53 yards, 2.3 yards per carry. Justin Johnson, 7 carries for 23 yards, 3.3 yards per carry. So in terms of what West Virginia was able to do on the ground, it was really with Garrett Green. He's a young quarterback, a little bit more diminutive in size. If he's going to be running the ball 14 times a game in kind of have to if he's going to be the guy going forward, which I think you're going to see both quarterbacks probably play a little bit against K-State. But I think Garrett Green's going to get the first, uh, the nod, so to speak. And if he's playing the whole game, I expect him to carry almost 20 times. Yeah. Uh, unless they just decide to air it out all, all, all game, which would maybe make you think JT Daniels might be the better choice. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of manage that going forward. I uh, want to talk a little bit about this West Virginia defense. This West Virginia defense, uh, there's really no two ways around it. They're, they're pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, worse yeah. in the conference in terms of yards per play. Which is saying something because that Kansas defense is pretty bad too. Yeah, and, and, and this is just against conference teams uh, for stats. 6.76 yards uh, per play, a half a yard more than the next uh, – closest team, which of course is Oklahoma, as we all thought it would be. Oklahoma. Uh, and I said that uh, West Virginia was second to last in the Big 12. Actually, that title belongs to Oklahoma. Uh, now at 2-5 and five in the league play. So, want to amend that statement. But this is a game that I think K-State on the offensive side of the ball has to be looking their chops in and saying this is a defense that we should be able to have a lot of success against. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that if if Eric Gray can run the ball for 200 yards, and uh, I think that K-State with Deuce Vaughn and Will Howard uh, should be able to, to do the same thing. I mean, it's... I think K-State's rushing offense is every bit as good as anybody else's in the conference. Um, and when it's paired with a legit passing threat, I think it becomes even better. Um, and so they still have one of them Sills boys yeah, back they there. they sure do. But I think that the West Virginia defense is um, certainly a far cry from where they've, where they've been in the past. And where they've been in the past hasn't been particularly great. But you look up and down their Big 12 uh, numbers. I mean, this is a defense that Iowa State put 31 points on. Um, that just kind of gives you an idea of, of where they're operating. Iowa State outgained West Virginia just a few weeks ago uh, by 190 yards. Give up 390 yards to Iowa State. That's, uh, that's not what you want to see. Um, in the famously bad Iowa State rushing offense, uh, they gave up 170 yards, four and a half yards of carry. Hunter uh, Deckers was able to throw for 219 more yards, no turnovers. This defense is not good. Um, and credit to them for, for stepping up on those money downs against Oklahoma, which I think the Oklahoma offense with, with Dylan Gabriel back there and healthy, it's pretty darn good. Um, but West Virginia was able to cash in on those third downs. But I have enough confidence in, in this K-State offense that I don't think West Virginia is going to be able to uh, to contain them and, and hold them under 30, 35 points. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll switch sides of the ball to go back to the K-State defense here. You know, I this West Virginia, I mean, they, they run for, against Oklahoma, they run for 203 yards. They pass for 203 yards. How about that for balance? Yeah, it's pretty. You can do that if you try, probably. But uh, I don't think West Virginia is going to have near that kind of success on the ground. Uh, this K State defense, uh, you know, I I want to say since the second half of that Texas game has really been very stout against the run, and uh, I look for them to continue that. Delo, I think this is a game K State is absolutely the better team in, and I I don't think that there's much uh, doubt in my mind that K State should be able to get the win on Saturday. Yeah, roll your helmets out there. Um, I think it uh, should be an easy game for K-State. I expect K-State to roll um, and not have to, to expend that much effort doing it. I think uh, Kansas is a tougher opponent than West Virginia, and I would expect uh, Coach Kleiman to have the guys uh, devoting at least half uh, of the practice time this week to preparing for Kansas and Texas Christian for the Mitchell Championship game. All right, what's your prediction? Uh, I expect this to be a tight one. <laughs> I'm kidding. How <laughs> tell? Uh, I expect K State to win this one uh, to the tune of about forty-two to seventeen. Forty-two seventeen. Okay. Yeah. We, we see this one pretty similarly. I got a little bit lower scoring for K State. I've got thirty-four seventeen for Kansas State. Easy win. Uh, like I said, you're you're playing a doormat in the conference. Uh, Neil Brown on his way out. K State fans, don't sweat about this. Don't be stressed um, because this is one where K State just isn't going to lose. I agree. I, I think you, you said it uh, really well there. This uh, Maybe we can drop off a couple packing boxes, help Neil Brown uh, clear out his office, because I think this will, uh, if it's not already kind of decided in West Virginia circles, will be the final blow here for, for Neil Brown. Yeah, it's just a, not only is West Virginia not a good team, uh, they aren't, 
But I think it's just a very favorable matchup for K-State. It's a defense that doesn't have a whole lot of interest in stopping the run. It's an offense that just, granted, Garrett Green hasn't been in there uh, leading the charge for in these games. But, shoot, I mean, when they got blown out by Texas Tech a few weeks ago, West Virginia ran for 73 yards on 26 carries. Um, You know, you look at what Texas Tech did to them, and, yeah, Texas Tech, oh, this Texas Tech offense, they only ran for 239 yards. Yeah, and the other thing, too, about this matchup is West Virginia, I mentioned Bryce Ford Wheaton uh, as a guy that uh, is one of the better receivers in, in the uh, the Big 12, and he is. Uh, James, or Sam James, rather, uh, and Caden Praith are two other good pass catchers. Uh, Reese Smith as well for the Mountaineers. For me, though, in this game, you look at this, and um, this is a great matchup for K-State even, too, I think, with, with what we have in secondary. Now, no Kobe Savage, so that's a, a bit of a concern at the safety position. But in terms of what we have with the cornerbacks uh, that can match up with those guys, you have to feel pretty good about that. Yeah. I mean, I'll condition all this on saying West Virginia, Morgantown typically a uncomfortable spot to play in. I mean, we saw Baylor go there a few weeks ago and lose. Yeah. Uh, it was a night game. It was Thursday night. Uh, Baylor's playing without shape and for the better part of the game. Um, they dropped one, 43 to 40. Uh, but I think, as K-State demonstrated on Saturday, K-State's a lot better team than Baylor. It's just the way it is. 100%. Uh, Stouter defense, more consistent offense, especially with Howard back there. Um, you know, I'm... I'm been a little flippant about West Virginia's chances, but this is the conference game this season where I felt the most confident going in. Um, and I think that K-State really should just get the job done on Saturday. I agree. 42-7 for Dell, 34 or, excuse me, 42-17 for Dell, 34-17 for yours truly. Uh, that'll wrap it up here for the Baylor Review and West Virginia Preview. But we're just getting started here on the short side option. Oh, yeah. After a short break, we'll be back to highlight another in the long line of Wildcat legends. And then we're back to talking about brands. We're babbling about brands, folks. Yeah, we are. And then we'll finish off this episode of the Short Side Option podcast by answering listener questions in our Ask the Icon segment. Join us after a quick break. Welcome back to the Short Side Option podcast. You're listening to DLU. You're listening to the Icon. And folks, we're going to get into a segment now, that we are and always have called this week's Wildcat Legend. An icon, this week's Wildcat Legend. Well, he's from Texas. Okay. Okay. He was born in Dallas. The biggest city in, in, in Texas, I believe, Metroplex wise, unless Houston's maybe surpassed him. I think Houston's bigger. Okay. Second biggest city. Yeah. The second city. Um, he's the son of. Shannon. I'm not going to mention his dad's name because that might give it away. Oh, okay. That's a, that might have given it away right there. Never can tell. Um, according to my notes, he has <laughs> he has one sibling. Doesn't say their name. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just a nice little piece of research from me. Yeah. But he's a brother to somebody. He graduated from Kansas State December 2014 with a degree in family studies. Okay. He played at Skyline High School under head coach Reginald Samples. 
It's a strong name. <laughs> it really is. Oh, Coach Reggie Stamp. Reginald. Reginald. Do not call him Reggie. Not Reggie. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, helped lead the Skyline Raiders to a 9-3 overall record during the 2010 season. He was a two-time all-district pick. He was named one of the top 100 players in the state of Texas prior to his senior season. He was the teammate of former Wildcat defensive end Markel Bryant. Oh, okay. While playing for the Raiders. Okay. He's a six foot, two hundred twenty eight pound linebacker, stout, thick. Icon, do you have any guesses as to who I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I do. Who's that? Would you be happening to talk about Shermichael one more? Icon, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Wow, how about that? And I don't, th- I don't think this is the first time he's been denoted as a Wildcat legend. I think he's probably the first double Wildcat legend. You've ever identified? Well, here after 101 episodes uh, on the Short Side Option podcast, uh, what a moniker to have, you know, being the being the first twofer. It's possible that there have been others. We don't... But maybe not. Maybe not. Tough to say. But I'm pretty sure Moore's already been one. But uh, the reason, Wildcats fans, that Shemichael Moore is our Wildcat legend this week is because, let's get real, that performance against West Virginia and... Uh, in uh, 2015, yeah. was pretty legendary. Let's hold on. Before we get there, he started his career in 2012. He played in 10 games his freshman year. He had four tackles, including two against Kansas. And he also forced a fumble on the Jayhawk kickoff return. Okay. He also had tackles against North Texas and Oregon. So logging in there. In 2013... He played in every game and totaled seven tackles, including two sacks and a pass breakup. He registered a season-high two tackles with a sack and a forced fumble against the Michigan Wolverines. Solid brand. Yeah, no question. Uh, Moving ahead in 2014, played against Stephen F. Austin, recorded two tackles. Injury. Mm. Received a medical hardship to regain the year of eligibility. Then in 2015, he's back with a vengeance. Played 12 games and started in the final three contests in the 2015 campaign. Totaled 55 tackles, five and a half of which were for a loss. Three sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. But his final four games of the season were just outrageous. He averaged 10.8 tackles per game. Uh, Which brings us to the West Virginia 2015 game. Shemichael Moore records 17 tackles, including six solo tackles. Or, I'm sorry, including 16 solo wow. tackles. Wow. 16 solo tackles. So we talked about Daniel Green's performance last week against Baylor. Eight or six solo tackles. Pretty good job. job. Yeah. yeah. I think 16 solo tackles? 17 total? Uh, four tackles for a loss, two sacks. Uh, needless to say, he was Big 12 Player of the Week. That week. Should have been Big 12 Player of the Year. His 16 solo stops were tied for the most nationally during the 2015 season. And according to my research, were the most by a Wildcat since at least 1990. Weren't able to dig back in the post or the pre 90. No, that's where it's in the the library. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Had 10 tackles against Iowa State, 
went and a sack. He recovered a fumble. Um, just a stellar last four games of the 2015 year. 2016, started all 13 games, had 75 tackles, including four tackles for a loss, three fumble recoveries. Earned honorable mention all Big 12 honors from the league. Uh, was second team all Big 12, according to PFF. Um, he's tied for eighth nationally and second in the Big 12 with three fumble recoveries. And he recorded at least five tackles in each of his final nine games, including eight against Iowa State. Uh, he was on the preseason watch list for the Bud Kisses 2016 year. But the fillet of his career, 2015 West Virginia. One of the best defensive performances in a game of all time. I mean, last year, obviously, against TCU, Felix puts up the same numbers, really had six sacks. Yeah. Uh, but 17 tackles is right up there with that number. I mean, it's it's that outrageous. And so, um, you think of Shermike Moore, what do you think of? I think of that game against West Virginia. Yeah. I mean, no question about it. You, you did a great job uh, detailing his career. You know, really, when I look at it also as well, um, if I remember correctly, he had kind of some health concerns. Like, I think he was diagnosed with uh, some sort of cancer that kind of left his playing career in in real question. Uh, but he was able to come back better than ever. And that game against West Virginia in 2015, you have to remember, K-State started out that season 3-0, lost their next six games, and then won their final three to become bowl eligible. Uh, that stretch, they beat KU, Iowa State in the famous Paul Rhodes game, and then West Virginia in the final game of the season. And, you know, maybe not the best K-State team of all time, but you have to give a lot of credit in terms of the heart that they showed uh, to be able to, to have that kind of in-season turnaround uh, during the final stretch of games there. So for me, I look at Shermichael Moore's uh, career very fondly. And uh, no fonder memory than, than his performance against West Virginia in 2015. Right. And, it, and it's that performance uh, that really uh, caught our attention and catches our attention every year when West Virginia time rolls around. And at least for this week's purposes, makes him, Shermichael Moore, this week's Wildcat legend. Dell, terrific job as always. Um, and let's get to a newer segment. Last week kind of had a little bit of a hiatus. With I didn't want to press on... Without you on yeah. this one. Well, I was I was there studying. Yeah, and you were kind of looking at different different things, right? Different I mean, metrics. Different metrics, different uh, reach studies that, that, that I know that you spent a lot of time breaking down. And it's now time for Babbling About Brains. Yeah. And this is a segment, as I'm sure many of you are familiar with, where... You know, a couple weeks back, uh, we put out uh, our, our brand rankings of the new Big 12. And we're kind of giving an update to that as we go along here. And uh, on this new weekly segment, we're not going to go through all twelve or, or all uh, all twelve of the the new incoming brands, but we're going to talk about a brand on the rise and a brand on the decline. Yeah, a brand that we think is doing is increasing its stock, and a brand that we think could uh, use a turnaround. Yeah, and Dilu. I'll let you take first steps here. Who's your brand on the rise and who's your brand on the fall? Icon this week, my brand on the rise, Texas Christian. You know, a couple weeks ago we talked about it, that in the post-Gary Gary Patterson era, um, they didn't really have much of an identity. 
Uh, this year, I think they're having a pretty darn good season. I see. Um, yeah. Under Sonny Dykes. And uh, last week, they had a big, big uh, Big 12 road win against a contender that also happens to help out K-State a little bit. I'm talking about the Texas Longhorns. Um, going on the road in prime time, winning a big-time road game, um, and punching their ticket into the Big 12 championship to establish themselves as a force to be reckoned with this year, not only in the Big 12, but in, on the entire college football landscape. Uh, I think that, that their brand is looking pretty darn good right now, and it, it has moved leaps and bounds uh, up the, the conference's brand rankings, um, and really just showing to everyone that uh, TCU has a, has a football program that's to be reckoned with this year. I think that's well said. That's well said. That's your brand on the rise. Who's your brand on the rise? My brand on the rise. I had to go out to our friends in the great state of Florida. And that's the UCF Knights. Yeah. That's a brand on the rise, folks. UCF checks in this week at number 20 in the latest college football rankings. That is the highest of any non-Power 5 program. Think of UCF. You think of a national championship team just a few years ago. You see a team that's uh, continuing to climb uh, with uh, Gus Malzahn now as the head coach of the Knights. Uh, I look at this brand going in the right direction here as they enter the new Big 12. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, UCF Knights are, are certainly on the rise. Um, you know, it, it's hard to... They won a national championship just a few years ago. Yep. Um, and for them to kind of stall a little bit after Scott Frost's departure, which I think was not in the best interest of either Scott Frost or the Knights at the time. Uh, but for them to come out on the other end um, and really kind of restabilize their brand after a couple shaky years. Um, and now they're back in the top 25, as you mentioned, um, and ready to kind of catapult into the, to be the sub Southeastern, um, contingency of the new Big 12 um, to be playing football at a high level. Yeah, I think that's a great call. I think they're certainly brand on the rise. You know, and, and you look at, I mentioned that they were the highest ranked uh, team in the college football playoff rankings, not in the, in the Power Five conferences. That's of important note, too, because that puts them well in line now for a, a New Year's Six bowl game appearance. Yeah, another opportunity to showcase their brand on the national and stage. Exactly right. So, uh, UCF for me, a brand on the rise. Now, we look at the other side of the coin. Yeah. A brand on the decline. And I think we might have an agreement on, on who this one might be. Yeah, it's got to be Houston. Yeah, um, it has to be. There's no other choice. Yeah, and it's it's hard to say this after, uh, you know, they, they coming off a win. And really, I mean, they've turned around their season a little bit because they were – you know, a few games into the season, they're starting the season ranked. Then they lose a heartbreaker to Texas Tech, and then they get really blown out by Kansas. Um, squeak by Rice, and then lose at home in overtime to Tulane. And all of a sudden, Houston's sitting there two and three. Um, you know, they they've won uh, some games since then, but currently at six and four. Yeah, but. Um, haven't exactly, they're not going to win any beauty pageants the way they've been winning some of these games. 
Well, and the reason why they are a brand on the decline for me is two weeks ago when uh, they went on the road uh, to SMU, uh, Houston gave up 77 points to this Mustangs team and gave up uh, 642 yards of offense. That is indicative of a brand on the decline in my eyes. I agree. You know, that it's that type of game that makes people think that, well, whatever Houston gets out there, it's a basketball game on turf. Yeah. yeah. Um, which isn't a brand of football that people really want to watch. No. Um, 77 to 63, that looks like it might be a basketball sport. Yeah, it might be. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think the Houston Cougars uh, basketball team will go up 77 points in the game this season. Maybe not. Kelvin Sampson's got those boys playing hard. Yeah. You know, Houston basketball-wise, to give a little bit of the silver lining to it, what we're painting as a pretty dark picture, odds on favor to win the national title in basketball this year. Wow. How about that? Well, that's not... It's not bad for the brand. Uh, it certainly doesn't excuse the disappointing football season. No. Um, Dana Holgerson. About to rejoin the Big 12. Yep, yep, he is. Familiar territory for Dana. Um, but like you, I agree. I mean, I think that, especially with the preseason expectations, really coming into the year, Houston was kind of the team that uh, UCF, uh, that, that now UCF looks like. Yeah. Uh, kind of the odds-on favorite to be find themselves in a New Year's Six will really showcase their brand to everyone um, and really just run roughshod over the American Conference. Um, hasn't really uh, fulfilled that dream, and it's looked pretty ugly losing some of these games, especially, like you mentioned, giving up 77 points to a post-Sunny Dykes two-lane team. Yeah, uh, Southern Methodist really just ran it up on them. And you know what? That's that's disappointing to see here for Houston. Um, and and they, they have to do some soul-searching if they want to find themselves on the right side of uh, the, the brand up and the brand down discussion here on the short side option. Yeah. As for everybody else, I think they're holding serve. Yep. I'd agree. Um, anything else on brands? No. No, I think that pretty much closes the book on, on babbling about brands this week. Any other seismic changes in, the, in your kind of tiers? Um, I think... It's clear K-State's still at the top. Yeah, you know, Baylor maybe a little bit of a, uh, of a slight turn down, you know, to, to come out and, and have a lot of momentum here kind of going into the last couple of weeks of the season. And then for them to get completely out out uh, outclassed by Kansas State, you maybe look at them a little bit funny. But then you have to remember who they're playing against. Playing against the standard, of, the new standard of the Big 12, and that's Kansas State. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of an excuse there uh, with, with competition, uh, with, with Kansas State having a really fine football team this year. Uh, but more than anything, just a really preeminent and powerful brand uh, that is associated with Kansas State football. Yeah. Well, that, uh, that wraps up this week's edition of Babylon About Brands. Um, we'll go ahead and get into our final segment on the show, a segment we call Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit their questions to the short side options. Very own Chris the Icon Sork, and he'll do his best to answer. And... You can submit those to us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast or by using the hashtag AskTheIcon or give them a call. Call and Just say, hey, I have a question this week. Here's what it is. Icon will say, all right. And he'll keep that question in mind. and um, Under lock and key. Under lock and key until he gives it to me like he does with all these questions. Mm-hmm. And I will look at them for the first time uh, as I'm doing now, right as we're approaching Ask the Icon. Um, with that in mind, Icon, this week we only had two 
uh, ask the icon. Don't be shy, folks. Hop on in. Yeah, hop on in. He's he won't bite. Um, Might growl at you, but that's all right. You'll what? Might growl at you, but (laughs) I'm not gonna bite. Maybe so. Yeah. Um, Our first question this week comes from listener Steve Z sixty at S L Keck on Twitter. Steve Z asks. Excuse me, this isn't SE Icon, this is Hey Icon. He fires away. As it, as it always is. Steve Z says, Hey Icon, I thought you did an excellent job comparing Big 12 teams to breakfast. How about comparing them to Thanksgiving dishes? Oh my. How about that? Yeah. Uh, well, we can certainly do that here as the, the holiday season quickly approaches. Now, Del, I have to ask, at, at, the, uh, at the Mr. Dell household, turkey, ham... Prime rib, prime rib. Oh, choice. Yeah, choice. Call. That's a, that's the that's the ideal. I'm not much of a fan of turkey. I'm not much of a, I'm really not much of a fan of ham. You slap a nice prime rib down on there, I'll eat, I'll eat that right up. Yeah, I like that idea. That sounds terrific. So we'll do the current Big Twelve schools. Yeah. How's that sound? Yeah, that's that's fine with me. Okay. I will, and we'll go. Um, in, in backwards order here, start at the bottom. So we're going to start with Iowa State. Now, bottom tier, or brand-wise, or bottom standings? Bottom standings. Oh, okay. I'm going bottom standings here. Um, which, you could also say bottom of the brands, because that's where Iowa State also finds themselves. Yeah. Um, so, kind of, both... Apropos. Yeah, both, uh, both situations apply here. Iowa State, they're kind of like that... Um, they're kind of like those dinner rolls that have been maybe set on the counter for about a week. Kind of, I mean, they're not molding yet, but they're kind of hard, kind of tough. Yeah. Not what you want to have on your plate. Yeah, it's what you want to have on a defense, though. Yeah, that, that kind of fits them. Yeah. You know, tough, hard shell. Um, now next is the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, this is a team that, you know, Oklahoma, wait, you're saying they're 2-5 and five in conference play? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, folks. 2-5 and five in conference play at the bottom in the, in the bottom tier of the Big 12 standings here as we find ourselves uh, in the middle of November. And the once-proud program. A once-proud tradition of college football. To me, you look at kind of a staple of the Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Sweet potatoes. <laughs> yeah. But these sweet potatoes are not hot. They're, well, they're cold. And they're they're not particularly appetizing. That's what that's what Brent Venables is finding himself here in the first season uh, at the helm of the big t- at the helm of a head coaching position and at the home of, of the Oklahoma Sooners. So for me, some bad bad sweet potatoes. Yeah, so, okay, not so sweet potatoes. Yeah, bitter potatoes. Yeah. So now we go to West Virginia. Now, much has been made about West Virginia. You think of West Virginia, you kind of think of some hooligans out there a little bit, some moonshine, if you will. Yeah. You know, maybe a little after-dinner deal. Maybe get you perked back up a little bit after all that uh, all that turkey you've had. Maybe one of those adult sodas. Yeah, I'm thinking them as kind of like some sort of an apple pie moonshine. Oh, yeah. Just enough? Okay. A little too much? Oh, you're out for the count. And that's where West Virginia finds themselves. And that's where Neil Brown's going to find himself uh, here. Is he's going to get his bags packed here quickly. Yeah, uh, he's going to get canned. Now, I transition here to KU. Now, KU, I look at them. Cranberries. Cranberry sauce. 
Simple as that. <laughs> Fair enough. Texas Tech. Now, you think this um, a little bit out there on, on kind of, you know, out there in West Texas, a little bit Tex-Mex maybe inspired type, yeah. of, type of crossover dish here on, uh, on Thanksgiving. I see them as in, I don't know if this happens to me Thanksgiving. It doesn't happen to mine. I see a nice seven-layer dip. Nice little seven-layer bean dip. Yeah, that's yeah. a good Thanksgiving food. You have it have it as an appetizer, sure, beforehand. Yeah, you know, while you're maybe giving people something to tie them over before the real deal, a little bit of a like a store bought uh, seven layer bean dip. Yeah, maybe a margarita, one of those classic Thanksgiving staples. Yeah, uh, who doesn't enjoy a nice margarita <laughs> before the turkey, right? Um, so then we go down to Texas. Now Texas, they find themselves right here, kind of in the thick of things here at at four and three. I look at them, that's kind of the centerpiece still. Yeah. Powerful brand. The bird. They're the turkey. They're kind of a bunch of turkeys this year. As they're kind of <laughs> seeming to, uh, to to squander some opportunities. All right, here. keep it above the belt. I yeah, yeah, just call them like I see them here. Now, Baylor, next, next one uh, on the list. I look at Baylor. This one's a little bit tough for me. But I see them as a nice pecan pie. Yeah, I can see that. Southern inspired. I, I I feel like Thanksgiving's the only time of the year that I drink, that I get offered or drink iced tea. Oh, really? You know, when it, I feel like it's a special dinner. It's, you want water or tea? Oh, I'm a big tea drinker. Oh, I'm not. And so, but I have it at Thanksgiving, that's for sure. And sweet tea or just unsweetened tea? Uh, unsweetened iced tea. Okay. Um, and so, I think I would, I haven't chimed in here, but, but Baylor's iced tea for Okay. I like that. Yeah. Pecan pie for me. Fair enough. Oklahoma State. Stuffy. A solid staple of every Thanksgiving meal. Oklahoma State. A brand that we, we both agree on. Top three or four brands. Old reliable. Old reliable. Some good stuffing. Yeah. Love that. Kansas State. Up next here. Where, where, where do you, first, I have my answer. Where do you see K-State at as a, as a Thanksgiving dish? Pumpkin pie. Exactly where I was going. Yeah. A staple. Yeah. Whole, you know, just as any Thanksgiving you go to. You uh-huh. got two things. Almost across the board at every Thanksgiving dinner. Seven layer dip. No, that's 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 an appetizer. Ah. That's not, no, no, I'm talking the main course. Got you got your turkey, you got your pumpkin pie. Yeah. Preeminent brand, Texas. Preeminent brand in the new Big Twelve. Kansas State. You yep. got two staple dishes. Nice old dessert after you're finished with the uh, turkey. Now, TCU. Kind of off the radar, maybe before the season. Mm-hmm. But they find themselves in the catbird seat. 7-0, 10-0 overall. I think there's still a little bit of unknown there, maybe. like Because you hear all these talking heads uh, on ESPN saying, you know, how good is this TCU team? Would it be? Well, if they were in the Big Ten or the SEC, would they be 10-0? I, I don't know. I think they would be. Because this is a good team. I liken them to a nice green bean casserole. That's exactly where I was going. Because you know why? Green bean casserole. Reliable. Steady. This TCU team has shown many ways that they can get it done this year. And it's a very versatile team. Whether it's outscoring you or whether it's bowing up on defense like you saw this last Saturday against Texas. This green bean casserole can do it all too. I'm fascinated... With some of what was included among that I, list. I love all the dishes I had. I love them all. 
I'm surprised we got to. Uh... <laughs> you know, actually, I want to go back to Texas Tech a little bit because I, I think that's where you're going. How about pickled okra? <laughs> that's, uh, I'm just surprised we got to both pickled okra and seven layer dip oh, before we got to mashed okra. potatoes. That's true. You could have gone there too. Oh, baked potato. Yeah, you could have gone there. But I, I, I'm i going with um, pickled okra for uh, Texas, Texas Tech. I can, see that. I can see that. Yeah. You're, you're looking at me a little still funny for the seven-layer dip. That's an appetizer. It's before the main course. Well, great job, as always. And it's a great question by Steve. 60 here as we approach Thanksgiving um, and really approach the final home stretch of the regular season for Kansas State. Uh, our second and final question this week comes from listener Trim at Trim Goema. Trim asks, kind of appropriate given my absence last week. Who are your top five, dead or alive, dream substitute TSSO co-hosts? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to say, Quentin has done a great job. <laughs> yeah. when, when he's been called upon. It's a dream. Stephen Norman. Woof. Yeah. He's done a good job when called upon. So I'd be remiss if I didn't include those two guys. You've been hosting Twitter spaces with... With Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen. And he's done a bang-up job. So now I've got two other spots here. Yeah. Let me go a little bit off the radar here. One, I don't think we'll have really much to say uh, about um, about Big 12 football because when he was last kicking, well, I, I shouldn't say that because he was around uh, long enough to talk, to talk a little bit about maybe the Big 12. Actually, look this up. When did Frank Sinatra die? Oh, blue eyes. Yeah. I think he passed away like... <laughs> it's, it was either 1990 or 2000. Well, let's see here, Icon. Um, let's see. Frank Sinatra, he died in 1998. Okay, perfect. He was around for a little bit of the Big 12. Yeah. Frank Sinatra's one. Yeah, Love you guys would... I'd, I'd be real interested to hear what he has to say about uh, this case at West Virginia matchup. Oh, I would too. I'd be sitting on the edge of my seat. <laughs> he may he, he can croon a little bit too, you know. Why not? Uh, so Frank Sinatra, uh, one, mm-hmm. and then number two. This is a so we have we have Quentin, we have Q. Yep. We have Norm. Yep. We have Frank, Frank Sinatra. We have Hanson so far. <laughs> yep. All right. Who's number five? Now this is going to be maybe a little bit controversial, but. Uh, one of my favorite late night guys, Dave Letterman. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Yeah. Big football fan. Big football fan. Big sports fan. Ball State know. guy. Ball State guy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Dave Letterman getting into the mix. That's great. And then honorable mention is my my favorite current sports talk show host, and that's none other than Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Yeah. Now that would get people. Fired up. You know, I actually have a funny story here, real quick, and this will kind of wrap us up here. But uh, Christopher Mad Dog Russo just got put into the Radio Hall of Fame, and they had a little tribute show. Dave Letterman called in from from because Dave would have him on on uh, the late uh, the late show, and um, they had a nice little friendship. And but if you ever listen to Mad Dog, you know he has a very distinctive voice and a voice that I know you know and you. Really don't care for it. I don't really care for Christopher Mad Dog Russo. So when Dave Letterman was driving around back in New York in the late '90s or so, and he's driving around with his wife, and uh, that he hears Mad Dog for the first time on the radio show, he just turns to his wife and say, "Oh look, honey, 
They gave Daffy Duck a radio show. <laughs> kind of sounds like Daffy Duck a little bit. Yeah, so, I you, can know, you can kind of see that. But no, Dave Letterman, I think he's got to be in the mix. Frank Sinatra, a legend. Yeah. And then Q, Norm, and uh, Hanson. And, yeah, they, they, and they've, they've put in the equity. They're, they're valued members here of the short side option family. Yeah, most definitely. Icon, before we take off, uh, let's take a quick trip around Big 12. Uh, oh, yeah, week. let's do it, partner. Uh, obviously, we both think Kansas State was going to win at Western Virginia. Not only win, but win handily. Yeah, just really blow them out without much effort. Uh, Texas at Kansas. Interesting game. KU, uh, you know, they dropped one to Texas Tech last week in a game that they were, you know, hanging around in, uh, you know, throughout the second half and then kind of got a little bit away from them there in the fourth quarter, uh, late in that in that fourth quarter. I, I think this is a bad matchup for KU. I think Texas wins this one. I agree. I think uh, it's a terrible matchup for KU. I think Bijan Robinson is going to run for maybe 300 yards. Um, I think Texas has the athletes on defense. In a revenge game. Well, that and Texas is still very much in the mix for their getting to Arlington. Uh, but I'm rooting for Kansas. I'd like to punch our ticket this week, uh, but I just don't see it in the cards. Um, TCU at Baylor. This, my friends, is a tricky game. You have TCU going to Waco as a two-and-a-half-point favorite after last week being a seven-point underdog um, at Texas. Now, this Baylor team, you're kind of left scratch your head. I mean, it was a dominating performance as we've covered by Kansas State uh, here uh, on this podcast. But is this Baylor team, was it kind of just an aberration that they had this really good three-game streak where they were running the ball well and making good plays uh, in their passing game as well and really kind of bowing up when they needed to on defense? Or is this maybe... A, a little bit of, of who they played in those three games. Texas Tech, KU, Oklahoma. Teams that really haven't been very good this year. Especially KU, not very good defensively. Oklahoma, just not very good at all. Especially defensively, even as far as that goes. So it's a little bit more of a product of their schedule. Or is it just, hey, K-State just really outplayed them. I think it's more of a... Of a uh, a situation where K-State just really outplayed him. I think Baylor will give a much better showing this Saturday uh, when they welcome TCU in a rivalry game uh, there, there in Waco. But i got to take TCU in this one. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i really tempted to pick Baylor uh, just because, man, TCU's due for one of these games. To, they're due to lose one of these games, one of these close losses. I mean, TCU finally is able to punch their ticket, still got a lot to play for. Might remember that K-State found themselves in a similar situation to TCU once upon a time. 10-0, and heading into Waco. Yeah. You got national championship on the mind. Um, and that's where these types of games, you can slip up. Um, TCU, 10-0, and found ways to win every game. Their only Big 12 game that they've won by more than 10 points, Oklahoma. Yeah. Otherwise, 10 points has been their maximum win. Yeah, and you know, you feel like they, you feel like that. They're, they're just kind of get by on, and on none by of the them, And none of these are bogus. Oh, well, in most of these games, they've come back from significant deficits. Yeah, and you just do not see very many 10-0 teams that become 10-0 and 
by winning games this close. I mean, usually teams that are 10-0, they've built some serious margin for error in some of those games. Um, but it reminds me, was it 2015 where Iowa um, won so many, or was undefeated for so long? Yeah. Um, and just everyone was a little suspicious of them just because they weren't winning so- yeah, I think but, that sounds right. They, they lost to Michigan State, the Big Ten title yeah. game. Yeah, uh, reminds me a little bit of this team. Although TCU's, to their credit, they've won track meets and they've won defensive yep. slugfest like they did yep. on Saturday. I mean, it what they did against Bijan Robinson was extremely impressive. Oh, 100 percent. Um, holding him to what under forty yards or something. Yeah. Um, reminiscent of their K State Ricky Williams game. Yeah. Um. All that said, I think TCU wins. Uh, but, I mean, coin flips. They've, they've come up heads um, eight times in a row here um, on these Big 12 games. And we'll see. I mean, I I think they're a very good team. But winning so many games close, uh, you, you just start to win. I mean, look at on Saturday against Texas. A game TCU was had well in hand and then a freak – yeah, uh, fumble recovery, and all of a sudden TCU has the ball, and they need a first down. Um, so we'll see. I, I I like TCU in this one though. Next one on the on the schedule, Texas Tech on the road in Ames. Texas Tech a game away from bowl eligibility. Uh, Iowa State four and six still fighting for bowl eligibility. Delhi, how do you see this one shaking out? Boy, um, Iowa State a slight three and a half point favorite in this one. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I guess Iowa State. Um, although, it, I have to plug my nose when I say it. Um, I think the game being at home, Iowa State's defense being sharp, and night game. Yeah, and you just at some point this Iowa State offense has to be competent. I mean, we showed they showed what they could do against West Virginia. Um, Texas Tech, not a great defense, uh, but I think Iowa State gets enough from their own defense to keep this one low-scoring and ugly, and, K- and Iowa State wins it something like 19-12 to 12 or something weird. Yeah, I, I like Iowa State in this one, too. Kind of similar, kind of last stand uh, for him senior day at, at Jack Trice uh, here as they try to become bowl eligible, and I will tell you one thing. They win here against Texas Tech, and they're set at 5-6, and six. Heading down to Fort Worth, I will I I will pick TCU in that game against Iowa State, but most folks will that don't follow the Big Twelve they'll say oh well, this is a, a no brainer. Be careful. That is a, a a team that will be hungry to to prolong their season, and they got nothing to lose. Ask right? Oklahoma State about Iowa State late in the season for yeah Wendy's yeah I mean season. that defense is going to travel. I mean that's been apparent all season. Uh, that is a game that, uh, for K-State fans, may have some particular interest because if if things play out the way maybe we think they are, uh, K-State would be their opponent in a physical Iowa State defense, kind of maybe wearing down some T- uh, TCU and, and really pushing them possibly in that game. May bode well for the Wildcats uh, if they are able to uh, be fortunate enough to play Texas Christian in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, which brings us to Bedlam. Yeah, interesting spot here. Oklahoma State sneaks into the rankings 
uh, here kind of here kind of late uh, in the season after they had kind of swooned a little bit, but they're they're checking in at twenty second uh, in the most recent college football playoff rankings. I look at this game as interesting. Oklahoma seven and a half point favorite, and I don't know how you can possibly, as a better, go up to the window and say, "Yeah, you know, give me Oklahoma by more than a touchdown in this game," because they haven't really shown that ability uh, to one get stops on defense, and then, like you saw last week against West Virginia. Untimely turnovers and uh, or not untimely turnovers, just not being able to uh, to to move the chains in a game that they should have won, uh, where they don't even turn the ball over. Oklahoma doesn't, and uh, they they fall short. So to me, interesting game. The help of Spencer Sanders, he comes in a relief and and guts one out and, and gets uh, gets Oklahoma State a win last week over Iowa State. I I can't really. Say I'm gonna run to the ticket. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Are you ready to go bet on Spencer Sanders or or right now or Gunnar Gundy? No, I'm not. Uh, So this will be an interesting one. I'll be anxious to see how this one turns out on the field. Give me Oklahoma to win this one in maybe a. I think this game is either gonna be like relatively high scoring, and Oklahoma wins, or. Oklahoma just kind of blows them out. I'm expecting Oklahoma big. Yeah, uh, so I, I, think I, think it's, I think it's one of those two situations. Like, I can't see it being a low-scoring, you know, like a 20-17 to 17 game or something like that. I think if Oklahoma's going to win this game, and the over-under is at 66, so that kind of reflects that. Yeah. Uh, but if Oklahoma State, uh, they just seem to find ways to win, and you never want to count out uh, Mike Gundy, of course. Uh, but this is a game with, with how Oklahoma State is so beat up, uh, it's tough to really want to back them in this situation. Yeah, I think uh, Oklahoma State still a team that's uh, got some hopes for Arlington. If uh, K-State loses out, I believe they're, they're still in the mix here. Um, and uh, what obviously Texas – no, I take it back. They're, uh, they're in pretty good shape. If K-State loses out, they're in pretty good shape. Yep. Um, but I, I like Oklahoma big on Saturday. Okay, so we, we agree on each of these other four Big 12 games. TCU is a winner. Texas is a winner. Iowa State's a winner. And Oklahoma is a winner. That's right. So, d anything else you want to uh, to mention here as we wrap it up on the short side option? No, I think uh, Saturday should be fun. We should be able to just cruise to an easy victory. Um, like I said, roll your helmets out there. Get our starters out, uh, hopefully, with about... Five six minutes left in the third quarter and get ready for Kansas. I like to I like the sounds of that. Yeah, I like the sounds of that a lot. So that'll do it here for us on this week's episode of the Short Side Option Podcast. Next week we'll be back. We'll be back to review K State's uh, game against West Virginia and preview our matchup against Kansas Sunflower Showdown. Time. Sunflower Showdown. Um, a seven o'clock kickoff on Fox. Holy cow! How about that? Yeah. Under the lights at Fort Snyder. Yeah, not the temporary lights either. No, no, these are the permanent ones. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I think, when was the last night game that K-State's hosted KU? Like 1983 or something? Well, because I remember in the 2004 game, that was at night. Right. And yeah, that, that, was, that in, was in Lawrence. That was in Lawrence. Yeah. 2010 was at night. 
That's yeah, the game. that was on Thursday. Right. That's the game you got ejected from. Yeah, I got removed from the game. Oh, well, I didn't get removed. I got asked to leave. I remove is too forceful of a of a term. You got uh, told that you needed to leave. That was ridiculous, by the way. Well, maybe we'll revisit that next. Yeah, week. that's what we call a tease, folks. Yeah. Uh, so, Tune anyway, in. thanks for listening to us on the short side option. As always, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at tsso underscore podcast, uh, and be sure to subscribe. We're on Apple, Spotify, I think everywhere else in between. So. Thanks for listening, and go Cats!